السلام عليكم ورحمة الله وبركاته بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله نحمده ونستعينه ونستغفره ونؤمن به ونتوكل عليه ونعوذ بالله من شرور أنفسنا ومن سيئات أعمالنا من يهده الله فلا مضل له ومن يضلله فلا هادي له ونشهد أن لا إله إلا الله وحده لا شريك له ونشهد أن محمدا عبده ورسوله صلى الله تعالى عليه وعلى آله وصحبه وبارك وسلم تسليما كثيرا كثيرا أما بعد فعوذ بالله من الشيطان الرجيم بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم إن الله وملائكته يصلون على النبي يا أيها الذين آمنوا صلوا عليه وسلموا تسليما اللهم صل على محمد وعلى آل محمد كما صليت على إبراهيم وعلى آل إبراهيم إنك حميد مجيد اللهم بارك على محمد وعلى آل محمد كما باركت على إبراهيم وعلى آل إبراهيم إنك حميد مجيد Respected listeners Over the past few weeks we've been studying the famous hadith of Umm al-Mu'mineen Aisha radiyallahu anha related to her trial of being falsely accused of a major sin. The particular narration that we've been studying is from Kitab al-Shahadat, from Imam Bukhari, his famous work, his Sahih collection of hadith. We continue, it's a very long hadith, we've covered a fair portion of it, a fair bit remains, and we continue with the same hadith. To give you a summary of what we've done so far and what we've actually learned from this particular hadith, in the fifth year of Hijrah, in the month of Sha'ban, the Prophet ﷺ marched towards the southwest of Medina in that region between Medina and the Red Sea. His intention was to confront and launch a preemptive strike against a tribe known as Banun Mustaliq, who for the past two years had been making preparations to attack Medina themselves. So having learned some of their, of their plans, the Prophet ﷺ decided to launch a preemptive strike and marched against them. It was his custom when he embarked on a journey to, on occasions, take members of his family, his wives, and he would normally draw lots in order to ensure equality and fairness between them. <coughs> so... On this occasion, Umm al-Mu'mineen Aisha radiyallahu anha says that he did the same and my share came out, my share emerged. So I accompanied him on this journey. There were approximately 700 companions radiyallahu anhu who marched with him. They finally met Banu al-Mustaliq in an area at a watering well known as Muraisiya. And there a skirmish took place in which with very few casualties on both sides, just one Muslim uh, was martyred and uh, just a few of the enemy were killed. The, after a brief skirmish, 
the Prophet ﷺ subjugated the uh, members of the tribe and they surrendered. Many were taken captive. But the leader of the tribe, his name was Al-Harith ibn Abi Dirar. And his daughter, Juwaydiyah, was one of the captives. Eventually, the Prophet ﷺ married her and she became Juwaydiyah, the mother of the believers. As a result of which, the remaining companions freed all the captives. And later, Al-Harith ibn Abi Dirar, Abi Dirar the father, he also, he and his sons embraced Islam. And many of the tribe embraced Islam. This, since this skirmish took place at a watering well known as Muraisiyah, the campaign is known as both Ghazwatul Muraisiyah and Ghazwatul Banil Mustaliq. So it's known as both, uh, it's, it's identified with both names. So the campaign of Banil Mustaliq in reference to the tribe, or the campaign of Muraisiyah in reference to <coughs> the actual location of the, of the battle, the skirmish. On the return journey, a number of incidents took place. One of them was the a scheme on the part of the hypocrites, namely their leader, Abdullah ibn Ubay ibn Salul, who tried to stoke conflict between the companions anhum, the Aus and the Khazraj. And one of the young companions, Zayd ibn Arqam, heard the comments of Abdullah ibn Ubay ibn Salul. He re- relayed them to the Prophet wasallam because of his young age, and Abdullah ibn Ubay ibn Salul's standing and position, apparently in the community and his influence and power to some degree. Uh, initially, Zayd ibn Arqam was belied and his word was not accepted. Eventually, Allah revealed verses of the Holy Quran, namely Surah Al-Munafiqoon, part of Surah Al-Munafiqoon, uh, well, Surah Al-Munafiqoon, in attestation of the words of Zayd ibn Arqam on another stage of the same journey, closer to Medina, and this is the main part of the hadith, the companions عنهم, set up camp in order to rest and recuperate. And on that occasion, suddenly at night, the Prophet وسلم, made an announcement that they should break camp and resume their journey. So, Umm al-Mu'mineen Aisha radiyallahu anha says that when this announcement was made, I hurriedly began making preparations to pack and to resume the journey. And in doing so, I also went to answer the call of nature. And she strayed far from the main area of the camp. When she returned, as she was returning, she suddenly placed her hands on her bosom and realized that she was missing her valuable necklace. Valuable in terms of sentimental value, since that necklace had been given to her by her mother at the time of the consummation of her marriage to Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam. So she, it was a necklace of onyx, and she retraced her steps in order to search for this necklace. This kept her preoccupied, and as a result, in her absence, the 
people of the camp prepared for their journey and eventually broke camp and left. And the reason was, she explains, that since this whole incident and journey took place after the revelation of the laws of hijab, the, there were, she would travel in a hoda, uh, a special litter uh, with a canopy and drapes and curtains. And when she would travel, she would enter the holder. It would then be lifted by a number of carriers onto her camel. And then she would travel. When she wanted to dismount, the carriers who were appointed to this task, they would lift the whole holder off the camel, place it on the ground, and then she would emerge. But they would normally move away. So she, she remained in hijab from them. And... Since the, there were a number of uh, people appointed to this task, so the weight was shared amongst them, and there was also the added weight of the litter and the holder itself, as a result of which, and she was also very light, as she explains, so her presence or absence would easily be, well, her absence would easily be uh, missed. So they... Assuming that she was in the holder, they lifted her up onto the camel and they resumed the journey. When she arrived, at the, she found the necklace and when she arrived at the camp, she was shocked to realise that everyone had departed. So being very young and innocent, she lay down hoping that they would soon discover that they were missing her, she was absent and they would come back to collect her. And as a result, she fell asleep alone in the night in the desert. As was the custom on the in the in those days, the Prophet ﷺ had appointed a rear guard soldier, Safwan ibn al-Mu'attal, a young companion, who had recently embraced not recently but meaning uh, some time before the this journey, not too long before, he had embraced Islam. And his name was Safan ibn al-Mu'attal radiyallahu a young companion. The Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa had appointed him as a rear guard. It was his job to travel at some distance and at a time behind the core of the army, the bulk of the army, and come across any lost property, any stragglers, anyone in need of help. So he, fulfilling his duty, he arrived at that campsite the next morning, as morning broke, and he was still riding, and he saw the figure of someone lying on the ground asleep. So he drew close, and he was still mounted on his camel. Since he had seen Umm Mu'mineen Aisha radiallahu anha before the laws of hijab had been revealed, he recognized her immediately, and he suddenly exclaimed, Inna lillahi wa inna ilayhi raji'un. And she awoke, Hearing his Inna lillahi wa inna ilayhi raji'un He then, no words were exchanged between them No words passed between them This is all he said He dismounted, made the camel kneel He placed his foot on the leg, four legs of the camel to hold it down Umm al-Mu'mineen Aisha radiallahu anha Without an exchange of any words She mounted the camel and They began travelling He was on the ground leading the camel In this manner They arrived at the main camp Of the Sahaba 
at midday or round about midday in the heat of the day. When people saw them arrive and heard of their arrival in this manner, Abdullah ibn Uwai ibn Salul, the leader of the hypocrites, who had previously failed in his attempt to sow discord and to stoke conflict amongst the companions, he who spared no effort in fomenting trouble, he realized his opportunity and seized it. And in his bitter manner, he began <coughs> commenting on Umm al-Mu'mineen Aisha radiallahu anha's chastity and commenting on the fact that the two of them had arrived at that time, he started, he instigated the rumor and spread it as much as possible, uh, going to the extent of saying that they have spent the night together and, and in fact, according to some narrations, he went into graphic detail. So, word spread like wildfire. And his cronies were responsible in perpetuating this rumour. And as a result of the rumours, some of the innocent Muslims were taken in and they also repeated the rumour. Some of them, of course, uh, many of them without believing it, but merely just mentioning it. And others actually repeated it uh, almost in a manner that they believed it. Aisha says that when the Sahaba and the Muslims returned to Medina, she fell ill. And in her illness, she was being nursed by her mother. And she was totally unaware of these allegations and these rumours being circulated. The only thing that caused some doubt for her though it still didn't lead her to conclude that this was, this was being said about her, what did concern her was the lack of affection in the words and in the mannerisms of the Prophet ﷺ, who was normally very compassionate, very considerate, very, very affectionate. But despite her illness, he would merely visit her, and the most he would say to her after greeting her with salam was, how are you? This bothered her. But she still didn't realize that there was anything more to it than that. Eventually, when she almost recovered, though not fully, and her health improved, one night she went out with her grandmother's sister, Umm Mistah, radiyallahu anhuma. And... <coughs> They went out to answer the call of nature, as was the custom at the time. They would go out once each night, only night to night. And they would go out in groups of women, and at some distance away from the homes. So she was walking with Umm Mistah, her grandmother's sister. She was the khala, meaning the maternal aunt of Abu Bakr radiallahu So, <clears throat> as she was walking with her grandmother's sister, Umm Mistah, she, meaning Umm Mistah, stumbled in her cloak. And when she stumbled, she suddenly exclaimed that may Mistah, meaning her own son, perish. So Aisha radiallahu anha said to her that, why are you cursing your own son? Why are you abusing someone who was present in the Battle of Badr? 
He was a veteran of Badr. So, the mother of Mistah said to her that I'm only saying what I, I'm saying about him because of you. So Aisha radiallahu anha said, because of me, why? Because of me. And then she said, oh innocent one, ya hunta, oh naive and innocent one, haven't you heard what people are saying? So she said, no. So she then told her what people had been saying about Aisha radiallahu anha and Safwan ibn Mu'attal radiallahu She says that suddenly she became even more seriously ill and she was seized by fever. In fact, in one narration, she says that she couldn't continue to going to answer the call of nature. She no longer felt the need and she returned to the house. She then, when the Prophet ﷺ came to see her, she sought permission to go to her parents. He gave her permission. She went to see her parents. There, she sought to ascertain these rumors and verify them with her mother. So she spoke to the mother and she said, what are people saying about me? In one narration it's mentioned that she tried to get her mother to speak about this more than once, but the mother refused. Then eventually the mother said, uh, oh my child, rarely is a woman beautiful and loved by her husband, and she has co-wives, except that they, not the co-wives, meaning people in general, they are excessive and they go to extremes in their opposition to her. So, meaning, lighten the burden on yourself, do not concern yourself with this. Umm Mu'minin Aisha radiyallahu anha says that <coughs> she then asked the mother, has the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam heard this? She said, yes. Has my father heard this? She said, yes. When she heard that the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam knew and her father knew, she fell down unconscious. When she regained consci- consciousness, she began weeping, at first silently, then with loud sobs. Her father, who was above reading Qur'an, he called out to her mother and said, what is it with her? So her mother informed her father that she has discovered what people have been saying about her. So the Abu Bakr said to her, I beseech you, O my daughter, in the name of Allah, return to the house of the Prophet ﷺ. And then he began weeping also. She returned home. And when she returned home, the Prophet ﷺ, in his condition, he began making inquiries. And he summoned Ali an and Usama ibn Zayd an two members of the household, and questioned both of them about Aisha radiallahu anha. Ali radiallahu an, Usama radiallahu an said to him, Ya Rasulullah, she is your family. In the sense that she is worthy of being your family. And how can anyone who is so worthy of being your family be guilty of such a sin? And Ali radiallahu an, he, he advised the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam 
in the following manner. He said, Ya Rasulullah, Allah has not placed any restrictions on you. There are many women, and if you wish, divorce her and marry someone else. And I explained that the reason for this was that it wasn't out of any disapproval of Aisha radiallahu anha, nor was it a result of him believing any of the rumors about Umm al-Mu'mineen Aisha radiallahu anha, far from it. He was speaking, keeping only in keeping the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam and only the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam in mind, seeing his condition, seeing his plight, seeing his anguish and agony. Prophet uh, Ali radiallahu anhu sought to relieve him of this. And his advice was twofold. He said, it was as though he was saying, O Messenger of Allah, if, to, if you wish to relieve yourself of this agony and of, the, of this anguish, because the reason he sought their opinion was because he received no revelation. So in the absence of revelation, he sought the advice of the creation and the closest members of his family. So Ali radiallahu anhu was as though he was saying to him, the O Messenger of Allah, if there is no revelation, and there is no way of you finding out, and you are suffering in this manner, such anguish and such agony, then O Messenger of Allah, to relieve yourself of this, separate from her. And But then his advice was twofold. And then he also added, But, O Messenger of Allah, if you still wish to make further inquiries, then you've asked me, you've asked Osama, why don't you ask Barira? Barira was a maid who used to help out Umm Mu'mineen Aisha radiallahu anha. So the Prophet ﷺ, he said, Ask Barira, she will speak the truth to you. So Barira radiallahu anha was summoned. Prophet ﷺ asked her, and she replied by saying, Aisha, in <coughs> the Aisha radiallahu anha is atyabu min tayyib al-dhahab. She is purer than pure gold. She actually said that. She said, Aisha is purer than pure gold. I can find no faults with her other than that she is young and innocent and at times when tasked with the responsibility of looking after the dough, she falls asleep and then the goat comes and consumes the dough. Other than that, O Messenger of Allah, I cannot fault her in any way. And then Barira radiallahu anha added that, O Messenger of Allah, if she is guilty, then Allah will inform you. So, this is more or less where we ended. The Prophet had consulted Ali and Usama and Barira radiallahu anhum ajma'een. So let's continue with the hadith. فَقَامَ رَسُولُ اللَّهِ صَلَّى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهُ وَسَلَّمُ This was just a quick summary, um, all the details I've mentioned before. Well, I've mentioned all of this in more detail before. Let's continue with the hadith. فَقَامَ رَسُولُ اللَّهِ صَلَّى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهُ وَسَلَّمُ مِنْ يَوْمِهِ So the Messenger of Allah rose and stood on that same day. I, he stood on the mimbar. He stood on the pulpit of Masjid al-Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. It wasn't the wooden mimbar that was built for him. That was actually built for him later. At that time, it was 
just a small structure of a mounded earth that he used to stand on. So the Messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam stood that very day. فَاسْتَعْذَرَ مِنْ عَبْدِ اللَّهِ بْنِ أُبَيِّ بْنِ And he sought to be excused in relation to Abdullah ibn Ubay ibn Salul. What's the meaning of he sought to be excused? Since everyone knew now that Abdullah ibn Ubay ibn Salul, the leader of the hypocrites, he was instrumental. He was the creator, the instigator of these rumors and of these allegations. And he never just said it once. He was spearheading a campaign of vilification against Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. As I've mentioned before, he felt certain bitterness and rancor and personal hatred towards the Messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. And he sought to hurt him in any way possible, including through his family. So he never just said it once. He, he didn't just make a fleeting, flirting comment once and forget about it. No. For him, this was a concerted campaign of vilification, of rumour-mongering, of slander, of calumny, of allegations, of false accusations, of stirring up hatred and doubt. And he would repeat these rumours again and again. He would actually gather people in his home, and tell them stories, and get them to go out and repeat these rumors. So he spearheaded a campaign. So the Prophet ﷺ knew that he was chiefly responsible. The Sahaba knew that he was chiefly responsible. So the Prophet ﷺ sought to punish him in some way, or to seek revenge, or to silence him, or some form of retaliation. The Prophet ﷺ was in great pain. So he stood up and he said, he sought to be excused about Abdullah ibn Ubay ibn Sarul. So what did he say? فَقَالَ رَسُولُ اللَّهِ صَلَّى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهُ وسلم, So the Messenger of Allah said, مَنْ يَعْذِرُنِي مِنْ رَجُلٍ بَلَغْنِي أَذَاهُ فِي أَهْلِي Who will excuse me in relation to a man whose hurt has reached me even in my family. And the meaning of who will excuse me, i.e., if I retaliate, if I seek to punish him, then who will consider me excused in that? And in another narration, although it's not mentioned here, Having said this, he also appealed to the companions and he said to them, you tell me, what should I do? You tell me, what should I do about a man who has hurt me even in my family? What should I do about a man? These are the words of another narration. What should I do about a man who gathers people in his home to perpetuate these rumours? Then he said, the Prophet ﷺ, by Allah, I do not know anything of my family except good. 
وَقَدْ ذَكَرُوا رَجْلًا مَا عَلِمْتُ عَلَيْهِ إِلَّا خَيْرًا And they have taken the name of a man, and in one narration of a pious man, of whom I know nothing but good, meaning Safwan ibn al-Mu'attal radiyallahu an, the co-accused of Aisha radiyallahu anha. Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam continues, وَمَا كَانَ يَدْخُلُ عَلَىٰ أَهْلِي إِلَّا مَعِي And he would never visit my family except with me. Meaning people would, not just him, but the companions would visit the Prophet ﷺ in his homes. And if they ever visited him in any of the homes of the Messenger ﷺ, they were small houses, so simple homes. And they would simply be separated by curtains. So the family of the Messenger ﷺ would be in the inner quarters maybe just separated by curtains. So people will visit the Prophet ﷺ whilst he was with his family. And of course, the laws of hijab were thoroughly observed, but it wasn't just him. But the Prophet ﷺ is saying that even him, along with others, whenever they visited me, he has never visited me except in my, he has never visited my home except in my presence. He has never entered my home except in my presence. فَقَامَ سَعَدُ بْنُ مُعَاذٍ رَضِيَ اللَّهُ عَنْهُ So the Prophet wasallam announced that who will excuse me about a man whose hurt has reached me in my family? Tell me, what should I do? What should I do about this person? فَقَامَ سَعَدُ بْنُ مُعَاذٍ رَضِيَ اللَّهُ عَنْهُ So Sa'ad ibn Mu'adh رَضِيَ اللَّهُ عَنْهُ stood up. فَقَالْ Then he said, Ya Rasulullah, O Messenger of Allah, أَنَا وَاللَّهِ أَعْذِرُكَ مِنْهُ I, by Allah, will excuse you about him. Excuse you in relation to him. In كَانَ مِنَ الْأَوْسِ ضَرَبْنَا If he is from Aus, we shall strike off his head. وَإِنْ كَانَ مِنْ إِخْوَانِنَا مِنَ الْخَزْرَجِ And if he is from amongst our brothers of the Khazraj, or the Khazraj, أَمَرْتَنَا فَفَعَلْنَا فِيهِ أَمْرَكِ Then instruct us. And we will carry out your instruction in him. فَقَامَ سَعَدُ بْنُ عُبَادَةِ So Sa'ad ibn Ubadah رضي الله عنه stood up. وَهُوَ سَيِّدُ الْخَزْرَجِ And he was a leader of Khazraj. وَكَانَ قَبْلَ ذَلِكَ رَجْلًا صَالِحًا And before this he was a pious man. وَلَكِنْ اِحْتَمَلَتْهُ الْحَمِيَّةِ But partisanship. Or partisan passion. حَمِيَّةِ Partisan passion had angered him. فقال, so he said, كَذَبْتَ وَاللَّهِ كَذَبْتَ You have lied. وَاللَّهِ لَا تَقْتُلُهُ By Allah you will not kill him. وَلَا تَقْدِرُ عَلَى ذَلِكَ And nor are you able to do this. فقام أُسَيْدُ بْنُ الْحُدَيْرِ So Usaid ibn al-Hudayr stood up. فقال, and he said, كَذَبْتَ you have lied. لَعَمْرُ اللَّهِ وَاللَّهِ لَنَقْتُلَنَّهِ By Allah. لَعَمْرُ اللَّهِ By the eternity of Allah. Wallah By Allah. لَنَقْتُلَنَّهِ We will most assuredly kill him. فَإِنَّكَ مُنَافِقٌ تُجَادِلُ عَنِ الْمُنَافِقِينَ For indeed you are a hypocrite and you defend the hypocrites. فَثَارَ الْحَيَّانِ الْأَوْسُ وَالْخَزْرَجِ حَتَّى هَمُّ So... 
the two tribes of Aus and Khazraj, or the two clans of Aus and Khazraj, they erupted until they intended to fight each other. Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam al-minbar, and Allah's messenger sallallahu alayhi wa sallam was on the minbar. Fanazal, so he descended. Fakhafadahum, and he calmed them down. Hatta sakatu, until he fell, they fell silent. Wasakat, until he fell silent. That section ends here. I translated it all in one go because this requires some explanation. So what happened? Imagine the scene. This is in Masjid al-Nabi, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. The Masjid of the Prophet of Allah, alayhi salatu wa Medina is engulfed by the flames of this fitna. People are talking. The hypocrites are on a concerted campaign of rumour-mongering, of gossip, of carrying tales, of throwing about allegations. The Prophet ﷺ is in pain, in, angu- in anguish. His family is in anguish. The companions are in pain and anguish. People have gathered in the masjid of Rasulullah. The tranquility and the serenity of this peaceful city has been shattered. Emotions are heightened. Passions are stoked. People are angry, confused. And they gather. Prophet ﷺ ascends the mimbar. He himself <coughs> is eagerly and desperately awaiting wahi and revelation from the heavens, which will give him clarity. But... <coughs> That revelation is not forthcoming. In his pain and anguish, the Prophet ascends the mimbar and addressing the companions, he says to them, Who will excuse me about a man whose hurt has reached me even in my family? You tell me what to do. You tell me what should I do about someone who says this of my family. He never explicitly repeated the rumour, far from it. He said, who will excuse me? And you tell me what should I do about this person who has instigated this rumour and who gathers people in his house in order to perpetuate this rumour and this campaign of gossip and slander. You tell me what should I do? So one of the companions stands up, Sa'd ibn Mu'adh, and he says, Ya Rasulullah, I will excuse you. If he is from us, if he is from Os, the tribe of Os, then we shall strike off his head. And if he is from amongst our brothers, the Khazraj, 
then instruct us and we will carry out your instruction. So Sa'd ibn Ubadah stands up and he's a leader of Khazraj. And he says, you lie. Remember, imagine this scene. The Prophet is on the minbar in Masjid al-Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. And in front of him, Sa'd ibn Ubadah stands up and says, you lie. By Allah, you will not kill him. And you will not be able to do this. So another companion stands up, Usaid ibn al-Hudayr. And he says to Sa'd ibn Ubadah, you have lied by, you have lied by the eternity of Allah. By Allah, we will most, most assuredly kill him. For you are a munafiq, a hypocrite, and you argue on behalf of the munafiqeen, the hypocrites. Then others stand, and there is an uproar in the masjid of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, and they are close to coming to battle inside the masjid. This is what? One snidey, sneaky comment of a malicious hypocrite achieved. This is the damage of slander, of gossip, of rumour-mongering, of lies, of calumny, of false allegation, of letting loose the tongue without consideration. We, by Allah, we may never realise the gravity and the consequences of what we say until one day we become the victim. Once we become a victim of malicious gossip, of slander, of rumour-mongering, only then will we understand. Who could have achieved this? Even the Quraysh, with their armies and armour in the battle of Badr, in the battle of Uhud, couldn't achieve this. But one hypocrite, one munafiq, Merely with his tongue, without lifting an arm, without stirring anyone else. This is what he was able to achieve with one malicious comment. In the masjid of Rasulullah they were close to coming to battle with each other. Fahammu. Here it's just mentioned Fahammu. But in another narration, Fahammu ayyaqtatilu. They intended to fight with each other, battle with each other. Even draw swords. Then the Prophet ﷺ calmed them. He, would point, he was pointing, in another narration it's mentioned, he was pointing to different sections of the congregation and calming them. Calm down, calm down, silence. And then... They began falling silence gradually. He descended from the mimbar and continued to calm them down until they all fell silent. Wasakat, and he fell silent. This is where the section that I just ended with. Now, a few questions here. Who was Sa'd ibn Mu'adh? Who was Sa'd ibn Ubadah? Who was Usaid ibn Hudayr? And how is it that the companions, and I'm going to be very blunt, a few valid questions. How is it, and uh, these questions will, will arise in people's minds, how is it that the companions 
could behave in that manner in the masjid of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam. How is it that the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam is on the mimbar and the Sahaba radiyallahu anhum are flinging accusations against each other? Because that's what it is. Kadabta, you have lied, you have lied. No, by Allah, you have lied. You are a hypocrite fighting on behalf of the hypocrites. And was Sa'd ibn Ubadah defending Abdullah ibn Ubayy ibn Salul when he challenged Sa'd ibn Mu'adh? Well, a bit of background, so uh, bear with me. As I've told you before, in Medina, there were two main tribes. Each tribe was a collection of clans. The two main Arab tribes were Aus and Khazraj. The leader of Aus was Sa'd ibn Mu'adh radiyallahu And his second in command was his cousin brother, his father's brother's son. His cousin brother, his paternal uncle's son. Who was his second in command and his cousin brother? Usaid ibn al-Hudayr, the other person. Usaid radiyallahu which means little lion. So Usaid ibn al-Hudayr was his second in command and he was his cousin brother also. And Sa'd ibn Mu'adh radiyallahu was the leader of the Aus tribe. Sa'd ibn Ubadah radiyallahu was a leader of the other Khazraj tribe. Now, I've mentioned before that Abdullah ibn Ubayy ibn Salul, he was from the Khazraj tribe also. And before the arrival of the Messenger sallallahu alayhi wasallam, he was on the verge of being crowned the king of Medina. But he felt usurped by the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam. So if he, how could Sa'd ibn Ubadah be the leader of the Khazraj tribe? And Abdullah ibn Ubay ibn Salul also be the leader of the Khazraj tribe. The fact is, when we say he was a leader of Khazraj, we actually refer to his later position. Otherwise, the leader of Khazraj was Abdullah ibn Ubay ibn Salul. And his second in command was Sa'd ibn Ubadah radiyallahu Sa'd ibn Ubadah radiyallahu embraced Islam. Abdullah ibn Ubay ibn Salul ostensibly, apparently embraced Islam. But he remained a disbeliever at heart. And therefore the hypocrite. So when we refer to Sa'd ibn Ubadah as being the leader... Originally, he wasn't the leader. He was actually second in command to Abdullah ibn Ubay ibn Salul. But the Muslims disregarded, eventually, they disregarded the leadership of Abdullah ibn Ubay ibn Salul. But he retained a lot of power and influence. That's why he was able to lead a contingent of 300 people away just before the Battle of Uhud. 
And gradually, Sa'd ibn Ubadah, even though he was second in command originally to Abdullah ibn Ubay ibn Salul, after the Hijrah and after Islam, his position grew stronger, his prominence rose, until he was widely regarded then as being the leader of the Khazraj instead of Abdullah ibn Ubay ibn Salul. Even though originally, formally, he was second in command to Abdullah ibn Ubay ibn Salul. Now, Aus and Khazraj were at loggerheads, they were bitter rivals and enemies before the Hijrah. In fact, this was one of the reasons why they came to the Prophet ﷺ and requested him to come to Medina in order to settle the differences and to be a uniting, unifying force. Now, <clears throat> so on this, and there were bitter enemies of one another. A whole generation in Medina had grown up knowing nothing but war and battle between Aus and Khazraj. And we've all heard the verse of the Qur'an, that cling on to the rope of Allah, all together collectively, and do not differ. Originally, although the moral of the verse is general, and applies to everybody, originally the verse was revealed in reference to Aus and Khazraj. And the Qur'an says, وَذْكُرُوا نِعْمَةُ اللَّهِ عَلَيْكُمْ إِذْ كُنْتُمْ أَعْدَاءَ And remember, Allah's favour on you when you were enemies of one another. فَأَلَّفَ بَيْنَ قُلُوبِكُمْ And he united your hearts and reconciled them. فَأَسْبَحْتُمْ بِنِعْمَتِهِ إِخْوَانَا So thus, by his blessing and favour, Allah's blessing and favour, you became brothers. وَكُنْتُمْ عَلَى شَفَى حُفْرَةٍ مِّنَ النَّارِ فَأَنْقَذَكُمْ مِنْهَا when before you were on the edge and the precipice of the pit of fire, and Allah saved you therefrom. So this verse is actually in reference to Aus and Khazraj, their bitterness, their enmity and hatred for each other were all so severe that Allah describes their condition in Yathrib, in the city of Medina, before it was called Medina, in Yathrib, as being like the whole population of the city was in the brink of the pit of fire. And Allah pulled them back from that brink through Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa So remember this history. Now Sa'ad ibn Mu'adh radiyallahu he was the leader of Aus. And who was his second in command? His cousin brother Usaid ibn al-Hudayr. And on the other side, who was formerly the leader of the Khazraj before the Hijrah? Abdullah ibn Ubay ibn Salul, who became the leader of the hypocrites. And Sa'd ibn Ubadah radiyallahu an was his second in command, his deputy. The second most powerful person. But his position and influence rose immediately after the Hijrah, and the Muslims took him more seriously than Abdullah ibn Ubay ibn Salul. So on this occasion, when the Prophet wasallam said, who will excuse me about a man? And you tell me, what should I do? Everyone knew who he was talking about. Abdullah ibn Ubay ibn Salul, who was the leader of Khazraj. And now, Sa'd ibn Ubadah may have become more prominent than him, but he was still considered one of the most powerful and influential people of the Khazraj. So Sa'd ibn Mu'adh radiyallahu stood up first. And who was he? He was the leader of the Aus tribe. 
So he said, Ya Rasulullah, Ana a'adhiruka min. In kana min al-awz, darabna unaqah. O Messenger of Allah, I will excuse you. And he says, I, but he, he's speaking in the position of the leader of the whole Aus tribe. He said, I will excuse you, meaning we will excuse you. If he is from the Aus, meaning if he is one of our tribe, then we will strike off his head. And if he is from, وَإِن كَانَ مِنْ إِخْوَانِنَا مِنَ الْخَزْرَجِ If he is from amongst our brothers, the Khazraj, meaning the other tribe. Now listen to the words carefully. He doesn't say, we will kill him. What does he say? If he is from our brothers, from the Khazraj, Amartana, then give us your instructions, and we will carry out your instructions. So we won't just do it ourselves. You command us, and we will fulfill your command. Sa'd ibn Ubadah stands up. And he's a leader of the Khazraj. And he says, You lie by Allah. You will never kill him. What does he mean by you lie? How can he say that you lie about something for the future? So what he means is, you lie. Because this is mentioned in another narration. Sa'd ibn Ubadah says, You are only, you lie, O Sa'd. Both were called Sa'd. You lie, O Sa'd. Because you know that this is only in reference to someone who is from the Khazraj. So when you say that if he is one of us, we will kill him. You lie about that because you know that he's not one of you. You know that he's one of us. And had he been from the Aus, you would have not said the same thing. You only say this because you know he's from one of us. He's one of us. And then he added, by Allah. And then he said, you are not saying this in defense of the messenger. You are only saying this because you know that he is one of us. And before Islam, our tribes were enemies of each other. And it seems as though that hatred and that enmity has still not unraveled in your heart towards us. That's what he meant. Then Sa'ad ibn Ubadah continued and said, By Allah, you will never kill him, meaning Abdullah ibn Ubay ibn Salul. You won't kill him. Because we won't allow you to. So Usayd ibn al-Hudayr stands up. He's a cousin brother of Sa'ad ibn Mu'adh, and the second in command of the Aus tribe. And he says to Sa'ad ibn Ubadah, he says, you lie by the eternity of Allah, by Allah, we will kill him. And you are a hypocrite, and you defend the hypocrites. And here he doesn't mean the hypocrites of belief. He means that on the one hand, you express your friendship and loyalty towards us, and that you also express the sentiment that you have buried these bygone enmities and hatreds. And yet, this is the way you are behaving. Your exterior is different to your interior. Not that he accused him of being a disbeliever at heart. He accused him of being a hypocrite in his attitude towards the Aus tribe. And he says, you are a hypocrite and you defend the hypocrites. Fathar al-Hayyan. So both tribes erupted 
and they were close to coming to battle with each other in the masjid. Prophet ﷺ calmed them down. Now, once again, some more questions. How could the Sahaba behave in this manner? And who was Sa'd ibn Mu'adh? And how was he? What kind of person was he? And who was Sa'd ibn Ubadah? And what kind of person was he? How could it be that these two leaders of two tribes, they, it's almost as though they ignored the Messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wasallam and his presence on the mimbar. And they were just verbally battling it out with each other and accusing each other of lying. It's not what it seems. Allow me to explain. Sa'd ibn Mu'adh radiyallahu was a sincere Muslim. Sa'd ibn Ubadah radiyallahu was a sincere Muslim. And apparently who comes off worse in this scenario? Not Sa'd ibn Mu'adh because he stood up and said, we will carry out your instruction and I will excuse you. And he didn't say anything further. It was Sa'd ibn Ubadah radiyallahu who apparently comes out much worse in this scenario because he was saying that you lie, O Sa'ad, and we won't allow you to kill him. And that's why Usaid ibn Hudayr accused him of defending the hypocrites. All of these companions, radiyallahu anhum, were sincere believers. Furthermore, I say that apparently, who comes out worse, apparently, because Ummul Mu'mineen Aisha radiyallahu anha also says, وَكَانَ قَبْلَ ذَلِكَ رَجُلًا صَالِحًا That before this, he was a pious man in reference to Sa'd ibn Ubadah. وَلَكِنِحْ تَمَلَتْهُ الْحَمِيَّةِ But partisan passion angered him, enraged him. So apparently it seems that Aisha radiallahu anha is also saying that prior to this, he was a pious man. So what, not after this? No. Let me first speak about Sa'd ibn Ubadah radiallahu anha. Of whom Aisha radiallahu anha said, before this he was a pious man. And who Usaid ibn al-Hudayr accused of being a hypocrite defending the hypocrites. And why did he say that we won't allow you to kill one of us? First of all, let's look at who Sa'd ibn Ubadah radiallahu anhu was. Sa'd ibn Ubadah radiallahu actually embraced Islam before the Hijrah. Even though he was from Medina, he embraced Islam before the Hijrah. Even before Sa'd ibn Mu'adh. Sa'd ibn Ubadah radiallahu was one of the first people to visit the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam, speak to him, pledge his allegiance to him and invite him to Medina. He was one of those who gave the bay'ah to Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam at Aqabah during the Hajj season, before the Hijrah. Well before the Hijrah. That shows his sincerity. In fact, amongst the Ansar, he had the unique honor of, and he shared something with the Muhajirun, which the other Ansar did not share. Which is, that when he travelled to give the bay'ah to Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa at Aqaba, 
Remember, they gave it secretly in the Hajj season because they didn't want the Quraysh to be alerted to this. But word spread. And the Quraysh found out the very next day after the Pledge of Allegiance had been given to the Prophet ﷺ in Aqaba during the Hajj season. So the Ansar Sahaba dispersed and quickly made their way back to Medina. Sa'd ibn Ubadah was also making his way back to Medina. When the Quraysh, as soon as they learned that some Muslims from Yathrib have given pledge their allegiance to the messenger to the Prophet ﷺ, they were enraged, they decided to go in pursuit of them. So they came out of Mecca in pursuit of these Ansar, whoever they could find. And they found Sa'd ibn Ubadah So even though he was the lead, one of the leaders of the Khazraj tribe, they captured him, took him back to Medina and tortured him. He says in one narration that they beat me so severely that my body resembled the altar of sacrifice, which was covered red in blood. He was actually tortured. So despite not being one of the Muhajirun, he was tortured by the Quraysh. Eventually, he was released. Someone offered him protection and intervened on his behalf, interceded on his behalf, and he was released. He returned to Medina. So he had actually embraced Islam before the Hijrah, and he had suffered like some of the Muhajirun had suffered. From that moment onwards, he stood by Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. He was rich, and he devoted his wealth to the service of the Muslims. The Sahaba radiallahu anhum used to mention that every single day, there used to be one platter of food sent to the homes of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam from Sa'ad ibn Ubadah radiallahu anhum, every single day. And this was obviously in those days when food was plentiful. Otherwise, there were also days in which the companions suffered poverty, as did the Prophet suffered poverty. And the Sahaba used to say that when the Muhajirun first arrived in Medina, and they were dependent on the charity of the Ansar companions, one Ansari companion would take one Muhajir emigrant home to feed him. One companion would take two muhajirs home. One companion would take three muhajirs. But every single day, we would learn that Sa'ad ibn Ubadah radiallahu an would take 80 of the people of Suffa in order to feed them at his house. 80. And that's why the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa prayed for him. Oh Allah, let your salutations... And let your prayers and your peace descend on the family of Sa'ad ibn Ubadah. He was devoted to the Messenger of Allah. And apart from the Battle of Badr, according to one narration, he wasn't able to attend because of a snake bite. Apart from that one battle, he stood with Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam in every single battle. And the Sahaba also used to say that the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam later after the passing away of Sa'ad ibn Mu'adh radiyallahu anhu, 
he would normally have two standards on the battlefield. One standard would be with Ali radiyallahu anhu representing the Muhajirun, and one standard would be with Sa'ad ibn Ubadah radiyallahu anhu representing the Ansar of Medina. So he was a very sincere believer. And nothing had occurred on his part. Nothing had been said by him. Before this or after this, which would give any rise to doubt or concern. And when Umm al-Mu'mineen Aisha radiyallahu anha says, وَكَانَ قَبْلَ ذَلِكَ رَجُلًا صَالِحًا And before this he was a pious man, she is not suggesting that after this he no longer remained pious, meaning she was saying that prior to this he had said nothing or done nothing that would suggest any sort of impiety. In fact, he was a model of piety. And even after this, he remained so. It's just that on this occasion, she says, Partisan passion enraged him, and therefore he acted out of character. That's what she's saying. He acted out of character. Otherwise, Sa'ad ibn Ubadah was not a man hankering after power or leadership, nor was he trying to defend Abdullah ibn Ubay ibn Salul. So then why did he say such things? Why did Usaid ibn al-Hudayr respond to him by saying, you are a hypocrite, you're defending the hypocrites? Why did the Sahaba radiallahu anhum suddenly, the Aws and the Khazraj, become so impassioned that <coughs> they stood up and there was a din and clamor in the masjid? The reason is, they were all in pain. All of them. They were in agony. And even Sa'ad ibn Ubadah, what did he say to Sa'ad ibn Mu'adh? He said, O Sa'ad, you are only saying this, not because of your desire to defend the messenger of Allah, but because of our ancient hatred and enmity, which seems to have still not unraveled in your heart towards us. What, was the, what, were, the, what were his words? You do not say this in defense of the messenger of Allah. Meaning, Sa'ad ibn Ubadah radiyallahu an was also in pain, anguish and agony. And his sole desire at that moment was also nothing but to defend the honor of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam. So why were they saying things to each other? It's very simple. When, let's move away from Masjid al-Nabi sallallahu alayhi wasallam, the companions, and think of ourselves. Have you ever seen a family situation? Or... A situation amongst friends, or even loved ones, amongst people who actually love each other and care for each other. And imagine if there's a problem, a major problem. Have you seen how suddenly people become very passionate, argumentative, confused, raising voices, bickering amongst themselves, and the problem at hand gets overlooked? And suddenly people wonder, why are we arguing? Why don't we attend to the problem at hand? Why are we arguing? It's very simple. When we as humans, when we are in agony, in pain, in anguish, when we are traumatized, new trauma resurrects old trauma. When we are passionate and emotional, waves of emotion rise in us, related to previous things which we can't even put our finger on. This is why we act out of character. 
It's the result of the brain, of welled up emotions, of deep psychology. New trauma resurrects old trauma. And the best way of explaining this is Surah Yusuf. Ya'qub alayhi salam. He sent Yusuf alayhi salam with his sons, despite his own judgment and his own fears. They reassured him. He lost his son, Yusuf alayhi salam. Inshallah, just as I promised, I would give a detailed commentary of Hadith al-Ifq. I still intend to give a detailed commentary of Surah Yusuf. Inshallah, soon make dua Allah gives me the time and the ability to do that. Maybe after this, Wallahu a'lam, we'll see. But Yusuf alayhi salam was sent by Ya'qub alayhi salam. And he lost him. Many years later, when the sons approached him again and said, send his younger brother Binyamin. Binyamin and Yusuf alayhi salam were both full brothers. The others were half brothers. These two were full brothers. So he said, how can I trust you with Binyamin? As I trusted you with Yusuf, his brother, before. They gave him their assurances and their promises. And then he let them go. Again, against his own judgment and fear. When he was detained by Yusuf alayhi salam, and they had to return without Binyamin, and they told him that we have not brought back your son, Binyamin, and he has been detained by the ruler of Egypt. What did Ya'qub alayhi salam say in exclamation? What are they saying to him? That you've lost Binyamin. And he exclaims, Ya Asafa ala Yusuf. Alas, woe be unto me over Yusuf. Woe is me over Yusuf. So the sons are telling him, you've lost Binyamin. And he says, Ya Asafa ala Yusuf. Alas, my Yusuf. And his eyes became white, meaning they lost their sight out of grief. Stress creates problems with one's eyesight. Lack of stress improves one's eyesight. وَبِيَضَّتْ عَيْنَاهُ مِنَ الْحُزْنِ And his eyes became white, meaning he lost sight because of grief and sorrow. So, new trauma resurrects old trauma. And in his pain and anguish, when Ya'qub alayhi salam learns they had lost Binyamin, what did he utter? Ya asafa ala Binyamin. No, he said, Ya asafa ala Yusuf. Alas, my Yusuf. So the loss of Binyamin reminded him and stirred up his emotions of losing Yusuf alayhi salam, both of them. Sahaba radiyallahu anhum. In the, before the Messenger of Allah, they shared his grief, his pain, his anguish. They were also in a state of confusion. And in that state of confusion, the atmosphere was tense, emotions were heightened, passions were stoked. When Sa'ad ibn Mu'adh in his passion stood up and said what he said, 
Sa'ad ibn Ubadah radiyallahu anhu responded out of character in his confusion, in his anguish and pain. Usaid ibn al-Hudayr radiyallahu anhu stood up, and Sa'ad ibn Ubadah radiyallahu anhu also wished to defend the Messenger of Allah, just as Sa'ad ibn Mu'adh wished to defend the Messenger of Allah. But Sa'ad ibn Ubadah felt that Sa'ad ibn Mu'adh wasn't being sincere about it. Usaid ibn al-Hudayr radiyallahu anhu also stood up, and said what he said to Sa'ad ibn Ubadah, not out of tribal partisanship, rather, again, in defense of the Messenger of Allah. All of them wanted to assist and support and defend the Messenger of Allah. All of them wanted to. Sa'ad ibn Ubadah radiyallahu anh, didn't want to defend Abdullah ibn Ubay ibn Salul. Not at all. Why would he? When Abdullah ibn Ubay ibn Salul's own son wouldn't defend his father, why would Sa'ad ibn Ubadah radiyallahu anh, defend him? And later, strangely, Allah Akbar, well not strangely, but the qadr of Allah, Abdullah, Abdullah ibn Ubay ibn Salul's son, Abdullah, who is also called Abdullah, was a sincere Muslim. And his sisters and his mother all embraced Islam. So the leader of the hypocrites, his wife embraced Islam, his daughters embraced Islam. The, em- the enemies of the Messenger of Allah and his opponents all of them saw their family members go over to him, including their daughters go over to his marriage. Abu Sufyan's daughter, Ramla, Umm Habibah radiyallahu anha, Al-Harith ibn Abi Dirar ibn al-Mustaliq saw his daughter, Juwayriya radiyallahu anha, Hayy ibn Akhtar, the leader of Banu al-Nadir, and one of the chief opponents of the Messenger of Allah, he... He saw his daughter, Safiya, well, he, he didn't survive, but Safiya radiyallahu anha, he, he wasn't alive then because he, he died in the Battle of Khandaq. And two years later in the Battle of Khaybar, Safiya radiyallahu anha married the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa But again, it was his daughter. So, Abdullah ibn Ubay ibn Salul, his wife and his daughters and his sons were all sincere Muslims. So his son would not defend the father. Why would Sa'ad ibn Ubadah radiyallahu anhu defend the father? When, especially, and I never mentioned this, before Islam, although Sa'ad ibn Ubadah was second in command, he was actually Abdullah ibn Ubay ibn Salul's rival. Originally, they were rivals for leadership. But Abdullah ibn Ubay ibn Salul won over. So Sa'ad ibn Ubadah was a second in command, but he wasn't a pleased Deputy, he was actually the rival of Abdullah ibn Ubay ibn Salul. When you take all of this into consideration, can we for a moment imagine that Sa'ad ibn Ubadah was trying to defend Abdullah ibn Ubay ibn Salul? Far from it. This was the reason why the Sahaba said what they said and behaved how they behaved in the presence of the Prophet on that occasion. We have to understand this in context. I'll end here. The next part is Aisha radiallahu anha continues وَبَكَيْتُ يَوْمِي that I continue to weep that whole day and inshallah we'll continue with the remainder of the hadith not next week but the week after. Next week is tafsir. I pray that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala enables us to understand وَصَلَّى اللَّهُ وَسَلَّمْ عَلَىٰ عَبْدِهِ وَرَسُولِهِ نَبِيَّنَا مُحَمَّدْ وَعَلَىٰ آلِهِ وَصَحْبِهِ يَجْمَعِينَ سُبْحَانَكَ اللَّهُمَّ وَبِحَمْدِكَ this lecture was delivered by Sheikh Abu Yusuf Riyadhul Haq and has been brought to you by Al Kotha Productions. For additional lectures and products, 
please visit www.akstore.com. We can also be contacted by phone on 0044-121-771-3777 or by email via sales at akstore.com. Produced under license by Alcotha Productions, all rights reserved for Alcotha Productions and the author. Any unauthorized distribution, broadcasting or public performance of this recording will constitute a violation of copyright.